Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, amen. I would invite you to open your Bibles or your device to Revelation chapter 3. We're continuing. In our look at the bookend on the right, the book of Revelation, and we're finishing up the middle section of God's outline for this book. You'll remember in chapter 1, verse 19, the Lord Jesus told John the Revelator, he said, I want you to write the things which you have seen, that is Jesus in his resurrected form. Then he said, I want you to write the things which are, that is the church age, that's where we live. And then he said, I want you to write the things which are after these things, which begin in chapter 4, go through the end of the book in 22, and that is the future events including the tribulation season or period. So we're finishing our cycle, our circuit of church visits as Jesus would have ordained them in the book of Revelation. We'll remember that he started this cycle or this circuit going up the coast of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And he began his, uh, we looked at it as if he was Dr. Jesus. Uh, we, we, we looked at him as, a, as each one of these churches as a physical exam. So Jesus visits these churches. He writes a letter to these churches and the first one was Ephesus. This was a represent this is a representation of not only real churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, they are also a picture of the church age as it devolves away from a fire hot church into a lukewarm, apathetic, miserable church. And along the way, not only is it representative of different churches, it's representative of different individuals in the church, Christians. And so no matter where you are in your pilgrimage or journey with Jesus, if you still reject him as Lord and Savior, or if you've claimed him, you will find yourself along this cycle or circuit of churches looking like one of these churches. The first church was Ephesus, and this was a church that a cold hearted church had lost, walked away from its first love. And that's what happens. Man, you get saved and man, you're just excited for Jesus. You're sold out to him and then you just kind of let things come in and you lose your first love and you get cold hearted. Then as we travel on up the coast, we find ourselves in Smyrna. Smyrna is the church that's the suffering church, the persecuted church. And that's what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. Let me just go ahead and explain. Being a Christian does not mean everything is perfect in your life. It just means you have a perfect eternity waiting for you. But you still have to live in this broken, fallen world. I get asked all the time, why do bad things happen to good people? It's not even a good question. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. So it's not even a good question. But I can tell you why bad things happen. Because in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell, they fell far, they fell hard, they fell fast, and we live in a broken world. Now, Jesus is redeeming this world. He goes one soul at a time, and he has not redeemed nature. Nature still groans for the return of Christ. And so what happens? We're going to suffer. Believers and non-believers alike are going to suffer. So what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus, we notice our suffering. When we start looking at ourselves, we hurt more. When we place our eyes on Jesus, he helps soothe and ease the pain of living in this broken world. Then we move from Smyrna to Pergamum. Pergamum is the church that after suffering, they compromised. And that's what happens. When the the enemy sees you suffering, when the lost world sees you suffering, oh, you're no better than the rest of us. Look, you say Jesus has saved you, but look at your suffering. 
And so they introduce an area of compromise where we're no longer committed solely to Jesus Christ. After compromise comes the church at Thyatira. This is the unfaithful, faithful church. This is a church that Jesus actually commended their faith, but condemned their lack of faithfulness. They had invited other things into their life. No longer was Jesus enough. And then we leave the church at Thyatira and we go to Sardis. And when Jesus is no longer enough, you are on a short road to spiritual uh, death. Okay? And that's what he said. He said, you guys look like you're alive. You got the name that you're alive. You're doing some good stuff, but you are dead. Then last week we looked at the church at Philadelphia, this is a church that loved well. This is the church that there is no rebuke or condemnation. Jesus only says good things about this church, and then he explains why. He says, this is why you're doing a good job, church. You have stuck close to my word, and you have not denied my name. And so we talked about it. We want to be a church that proclaims the name of Jesus and no other name. We want to be a church that gives him the glory and the praise for everything that happens. And at the same time, we want to be obedient to the great, uh, to the great commission to go ye therefore and share the gospel. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to be the, the mouth and the tongue for Jesus. That's the church that he commends. Now, that was the last good church. And today we see the final church in our, in our circuit of church visits. And this is the church of Laodicea. Most people are more familiar with this church than any other church because preachers love preaching on this to try to get the people motivated. I'm not preaching on this because I want you motivated. I'm preaching on this because we're looking at the book of Revelation in God's forever eternal counsel. And I want the Holy Spirit of God, listen to me, I want you to lean in and hear your preacher right now. I want the Holy Spirit of God to speak in the depths of your soul on this day in November and tell you and reveal to you who you are before him. Because listen, it does not matter what your preacher thinks. It doesn't matter what your wife thinks. Well, sometimes it does, but here it doesn't. It doesn't matter what your husband thinks. It doesn't matter what your children think. All that matters is what Jesus thinks when he takes a look, a serious look into the depths of your soul. What does he find? So my goal, my prayer is that he would speak to you on this day. It is the church at Laodicea. That word actually means for the people, people ruling. See, there's a problem in America today. The church is this church. This is the last, last stage of the church age. Before Jesus returns for his church, the bride, this is the last stage of the church age. It is a church that's just full with apathy and just conformance to the world and just, I don't really care. I got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm just going to live like the rest of the world. I'm going to be a chameleon Christian that just blends in with whatever environment I'm in. And all the while, Jesus is saying, that is not who I died on a cross to give birth to. That's not who it is. And that's not what it looks like. So, I would call this church the church of Tudeosia. The church of Tudeosia. That's where we live. That's where we camp out. That's where our church uh, 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 navigates in the culture. It's just a non-caring. And church, churches are this way all over the country. Christians are like this in many, if not most, of the churches around our nation and our world. So we begin, Dr. Jesus is going to show up and he's going to give a physical exam. And he begins in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Revelation. He says, to the angel 
of Laodicea right. Now, as we've done every week, I want to tell you a little bit about Laodicea, the city and the church. So here's a city that has a tremendous amount of wealth. It is the banking center of the region. Why? Because they had everything going for them. They had these sheep that grew black fur, and they would take the black fur and make black wool. And it was beautiful, man. And it put them on the market of distribution and retail. And so they had the the money funneling in, everything's going good. Not only that, they had a medical center, a medical, a, 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 a university that trained people in the medical profession. And because of a plant that grew there in Laodicea, they, they, they determined that this particular plant could make a, a, an eye salve that would bring healing to the eyes. Not only that, they had a large group of Jews in this city. And let me just go ahead and tell you, you take a fabric that's popular around the world, you take a miracle salve you can put on your eyes, and you merge in a bunch of Jewish uh, men in that, (laughs) you're going to have some money, all right? And so what happened was, it just became this wealthy uh, seed pot of everything good that the world had to offer. And so here's what this city, and here's what this church was guilty of, self-sufficiency, self reliance. No longer do I need Jesus on the throne because I'm doing good at this all by myself. If I had to coin their expression, it would be this. I got this. Don't you know that we live in a world, if you raise children, you want to help your children. I got a grandson. He's three and a half. And you can say something. No, no. And he'll say it. He's got it. And he don't know the expression yet because we're not going to teach him. But I know what he's thinking. I got this. Anybody know somebody that has that mentality for life? You cannot help them. I got this. That's the church at Laodicea. They look to God and they say, thanks, but no thanks. I've got this. In 60 AD, this city was completely devastated and destroyed by an earthquake. And so the Roman Empire did the humanitarian thing like we do. They come to their aid. They say, we see you're hurting. We want to offer some provisions to help you rebuild. And they said, no thanks. I've got this. They wouldn't even take outside help in the physical realm. And here they won't take help in the spiritual realm. And so Jesus comes in and he says to Laodicea in the second half of verse 14, he says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He says, uh, listen, I'm going to reach back into chapter one like he does for almost every church. And I'm going to use part of my descriptive nature to apply to your particular church. And he reaches back to the alpha and omega. He says, I am the amen. The amen means I am the affirmation. I am the confirmation of everything that God has ever promised to do or has done. I am the affirmation. I am the confirmation. I am the amen to everything that God will ever do. And so this is the one, this is the doctor who's looking into the heart of this church. And this is the doctor who's looking into the heart of us as believers. Not only that, he says, he says, uh, I am the faithful and true witness First of all, on a different plane, he is the witness of God the Father. He is the image of God the Father. He says, you want to see the Father? You look at me, you've seen the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, we are one and yet unique and individual. And so he's the witness of that. But let me tell you what else he is. One day will come when every single person who's ever walked on this planet will stand before God. And Jesus is the judge. You see, Jesus has earned judgeship. 
He's the only one who has the gavel. I got to tell this. Just yesterday, I went out to Andersonville. I was working on putting in some logs, a log kit for my mom and dad and needed a part. I went to Andersonville, see if the place had it. And I'm driving up through there and there's a guy, it was what, 30 degrees yesterday morning. And this guy's walking down the street and this guy's, he's, he's walking just like, man, he's, I mean, he's like he's on, he's John Travolta on Staying Alive, man. He had the gate going. He was wearing orange and white Hawaiian flowery gym shorts. Had on sunglasses, a goatee about right here, and he had this satin, black satin jacket on, okay? And it had some stuff on it I couldn't read. But man, he owned the planet, and he's walking in Hawaiian flowery shorts in 30-degree weather. And I thought, that's just peculiar. I'm not judging him. I'm describing him, okay? I went on up to where I was going, turned around, come back. And on the back of his satin jacket, it said, only God can judge me now. <laughs> I'm like, that's good. I ain't picking you up. You crazy. Okay. <laughs> Not judging you. Just, just, just describing. Okay. So, so here's the thing. He's true. It is true. Only God can judge us. You, we judge each other. We like to put on the robe, grab up a gavel, and judge each other. Wrong. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. So I can't judge your heart. I, when I speak, I can't convict your heart. Only the Holy Spirit of, of God can do that, and only Jesus can judge you. He says, I am the true witness. Right now, before God the Father, Jesus can look at every single one of us into the depth of our being. He knows our actions. He knows our motivations for our actions. He knows how much grace we, we distribute to others. He knows how much grace we've cashed in on. He knows how much mercy we extend to others. He knows how much mercy we have needed. He knows everything about us, and he says, I'm the true witness. I know you, okay? A little scary, isn't it? I kind of wish there were some things he didn't know, okay? Because I got some stuff. I got some baggage, but it's all at the foot of the cross, and he knows their heart, and he knows our heart. And so he says, I'm the faithful true witness, and I'm the ruler of God's creation. So he paints a picture of himself. He says, listen, oh, I want to tell you this about Jesus. He says he's the ruler of God's creation. He's the firstborn of God's creation. Listen, Jesus was not created. Jesus is eternally existent. There was never, nor will there ever be a moment, a fraction of a second in time when Jesus was not he was always and will always be with God the Father and the Holy Spirit of God. I don't understand that. I don't know how they self-created themselves. I don't know that. You don't either. But here's the deal. When you begin to wrestle with that and the enemy steals your joy because you get tangled up in understanding that, let me tell you what. You embrace another theology and all of those other theologies will find yourself in a place called hell. That's where you end up if you embrace anything else. And it's more confusing than just saying by faith, God, I look around. I believe you're there because I can see what you've done. I look at your handiwork when I look at a, a newborn baby. I look at your handiwork when a, when a flower blooms in the spring. I look at your handiwork when the leaves change in the fall. I look at your handiwork when the snow falls. I look at the handiwork when I look in the mirror. I look at the ha your handiwork when I look up into the stars of the sky. You are real. I don't get it. But thank you for being that kind of God that I can't understand. Amen. Now, he says in verse 15, he says, okay, I'm faithful, true witness. I'm the firstborn of all creation. I'm the ruler of creation. He says, I'm, uh, I'm the all man. Here's what he says in verse 15. He begins his story about the church. He says, now, I know your deeds. Now, usually, let me pause right here. Usually, when Jesus speaks to a church, he says, I know your deeds. I'm going to give you an attaboy. 
okay? Stroke them just a little bit. You know, you're working, you're doing good, you're loving. And then he says, but I got this against you. He doesn't do that here. There's not one word of commendation for this church. There's nothing good that Jesus sees in this church or in this individual. He only sees a reason to rebuke. And so he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, that is just repulsive to think that the Lord Jesus, the God of the universe, is getting ready to, he's going to cast you, he's going to listen. I got some things against me, but before I begin, excuse me while I puke, because that's the way I'm feeling right now. Imagine for a second in this moment in time that the Holy Spirit of God uh, reveals to you that when Jesus sees you, he says, you ain't hot, you ain't cold. You're this chameleon Christian just kind of merging into everybody. If I'm with a white hot bunch of Christians at the church, oh, praise Jesus. Oh, yeah, we worship and it's good. I'm, me and Jesus got this going on, okay, because I'm with this good group. But then all of a sudden you're running over here in this circle and they're hell bound or playing games with religion and they're living like the world, talking like the world, uh, smoking like the world, drinking like the world, acting like the world, going with the world. Yeah, I'm a Christian too, and you're living like this. And he says, listen, you, you're neither hot or you're ne- neither cold. Listen to who the cold is. The cold is the one that shakes their puny fist at God and says, I don't believe in you, God. I don't need you in my life. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. This is the only thing there is. And one day I'll disappear into oblivion. God says, I'd rather you be hot. I'd rather you be cold. It's this one in the middle, man, just makes me sick. And I want to tell you, that is the church where we live, the church of Tadeosia, okay? That's who we are as a whole. I'm not saying everybody is always lukewarm and miserable all the time. I'm saying in the church today, there's masses of people who are in this group. And in a few minutes, we're going to see who, who is in this group and how they ended up in this particular group. But I want you to know that it matters how you live your life. I want you to know that God is watching. He says, I'm looking, okay? Tell your neighbor, Jesus cares how you live your life. He cares. He cares. In fact, in Job 34, verse verse 11, it says, For according to a man's deeds, he repays him. According to a man's ways, he brings consequences. Romans 2, 6 says, uh, He will render to each person according to his deeds. Well, now, wait a minute, Pastor Joel. This sounds like a little bit of works salvation. If I do good, he saves me. If I do bad, I'm lost again. That if I do really good, I'm more saved than when I don't do really good. It's not saying that at all. Let me explain. He rewards you and me based on our deeds. He saves you and me based on his deed. You got that? What Jesus did on the cross is all that has to happen for you and in you to save you. Now, what you do after you receive that gift, what you do, your deeds will be rewarded or consequences will come into your life based on your deeds. It's what I tell people all the time, and we're going to see it here today. You know, Jesus disciplines those that he loves. The Bible says if you've never been disciplined by God, you can't even be considered a child of God. I know emphatically that's true. Kendra knows every day when I get out of the shower, I got scars to prove it. You know, I got, I, I mean, I got, I've got scars on my body, all of it, the loving hand of God demonstrating how much he loves me and how disappointed he is when I rebel against his word in my life. 
And so I want you to know, he disciplines those he loves. There's people who say, well, I don't feel that. I've never felt the discipline of God. It's because you're not a child of God. Well, hello. Well, that hurts. I'm telling you, that's what scripture says. And so he says, I would rather you be hot or cold. I don't want you lukewarm. It makes me sick at my stomach. Tell your neighbor, it makes him sick. (laughs) Don't tell your neighbor, you make me sick. I didn't say that. Okay. You need counseling if that's what you just said. All right. So here's what happens. We find ourselves in a Christian community. We find ourselves as a Christian. We've, we've, we've asked Jesus to come in our life. We find ourselves in a church. We find a church. And it develops this complexion or this commitment or this personality in the culture we live. And it sounds like this. Well, I don't want to be some right-wing, fundamentalist, religious wacko. You know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that woman that every time you talk, come around them, all they're talking about is Jesus. I don't want to be that guy. You know, wacko. And then, or they say, well, I, I also don't want to be that hellion of a left wing, let everybody do what they want to if it makes them happy kind of person. So what we do is we just get in this little chameleon zone where I'm not going to offend anybody and I'm just going to embrace everybody and somehow God is going to use me to change the world and, and influence the kingdom. No, he will not. He says, you make me sick. Well, you don't because these are people that don't go to Sturkey Hills. I'm not going to say where they go. It gets me in trouble every time I do that. This is not you. This is the people you know. You know, it includes us too sometimes. And we're going to learn today how we get there and and how we end up looking so bad. This is the church that grows apathetic. This is the Christian that becomes uncommitted. This is the church that is passive. This is the individual who is lukewarm. This is the the individual and the church who accomplishes nothing significant. They believe nothing substantial. And they wonder why their faith and their confession, confession feels superficial and soft. These are hypocrites. These are the people that W.A. Criswell would say there is a goodishness that runs deep within them, a personal goodishness that is sickening to the Lord. Adrian Rogers cuts to the bone. He says, he says they, are, they are of this mentality, good Lord, good devil, half-hearted, self-satisfying, pussy-footing, fence-straddling, apathetic, defeated, unfruitful Christians. There you go. Praise Jesus. You know that's going to make him happy. Okay? You know what the sad truth is? We play that part. We all play that part sometimes. Your preacher plays that part sometimes. Your deacons play that part sometimes. Your Sunday school teachers play that part sometimes. Your worship team plays that part sometimes. You as as just laity, people in the church, we all strap on that jacket sometimes of pitiful, apathetic, defeated, miserable Christianity, and it is a terrible testimony to our world. And Jesus says, I see it, and it makes me want to throw up. Now, that's a happy message for today. Amen. (laughs) That'll get you ready for Christmas right there. Okay? Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay? No. But this is the last age. This is the last stage of the church age. This is where we find ourselves before Jesus returns. And so Jesus says, I've been watching you, and I am not impressed. So who are these people, and how did they get there? We've been studying Galatians on Wednesday night, and in Galatians chapter 5, Paul said something I'd never seen before. It's really interesting. He says, you were running the race so well. Who stepped in front of you 
or who cut you off? And I was thinking about that in my own life. And, and I got to thinking about my life, my lifeline. And Jesus, I met Jesus when I was 10 years old. He saved my little self. So dumb, confused. And he loved me and I knew it. And he invited me in to his world and I invited him into mine. And he saved me in that moment as a 10-year-old boy. And I, I didn't understand anything. I just understand, I understood that for some reason I needed to get saved and Jesus was inviting me. And I did real good. I went the next day to church or to school. And I told, uh, I told my, I'm telling my friends, I didn't want any of them to go to hell. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling them, I don't want you to go to hell. You know, you know, Jesus, I told my teacher, Miss Higdon, I said, Miss Higdon, I was burdened. Miss Higdon, are you saved? And she said, well, I am. Why are you asking? Because I got saved and I didn't want you to go to hell. Because I loved her. She loved me. All right. And then something happened, man. It's called life. Somebody came along and just kind of knocked, knocked me out, my feet out from under me and kind of cut in front of me. And I got out of the race. And when I got out of the race, man, the devil just came on in. And, and I stayed out of the race for several years. And, and I would get in and out of the race. Sometimes I'd jog a little bit. I'd put the shoes on, man. I'd look the part, you know. Uh, but I wasn't really running the race. And, and then in 1988, Kendra, God planted me in Kendra uh, in Chattanooga in a great church. And, and he, he touched me again. He said, listen, I thought I was dying. I said, Lord, are you killing me right here from the choir? I'm in the choir loft thinking I'm going to have an aneurysm or something. And, and all it was is he said, listen, you gave me your heart years ago. And that's great. I got you. But I want your life too. <laughs> I was like, well, if my option is give you my life or you're going to kill me, you got it. All right? And so right there, I just gave him my life. And listen, even since then, there have been seasons where I maybe was jogging. Somebody cut me off. Somebody messed me up. And I would, get, I would just get out of the race. And he keeps inviting me back. And I know it's the same for you. If you've been saved, you haven't run the race like a champion, like a stallion ever since you got in the race. Don't play games with me either. And I don't even see your life, but Jesus does. And so he's, Matthew 7, Jesus says this. He says, you might be saved and just apathetic, or you might just not be saved. He says in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, depart from me because I never knew you. You may know about him, but does he really know you? Is he in your soul? Has he saved you? Has he entered your life, not just the gray matter between your two ears? And so how did they get in that condition? Often it's for this reason. They start trusting their heart. Instead of listening to the Holy Spirit of God, they listen to their self. They ask themselves, well, am I doing okay here? You know, went to church, checked the box. Okay, read my Bible twice this week, which is twice more than last week, so I'm doing better. I'm going to check the box. Okay, I went and helped a particular ministry or mission or did something good for somebody. I checked the box, and we start listening to our own heart. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is saying, what are you listening to? yourself. You say, well, what's so wrong about listening to myself? What's so wrong about just listening to my heart instead of the heart of God? Well, we find out in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't trust your heart. You cannot trust your heart. You can only trust the Holy Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus, and God the Father. 
Because why? Because they are truth, and they cannot speak a lie. You can speak a lie. You know you can. You know you can look in the mirror and say, you, you're looking good. You got this going on. I got this. You know you can because it's our flesh, man, and it battles against our spirit. So what we do is we offer, he says in verse 17, he says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that in fact you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. Wow, the complete opposite of who they think they are. I mean, polar opposites with this chasm in between them. And that yet that's who they have convinced themselves that they are. And Jesus says, listen, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the true and, and, and I'm the true witness. I am the all man. I am the ruler of the creation. And I'm looking and who you say you are is not who I see. And so he reveals what they've done is they've provided for themselves some civic betterment program or some behavior modification approach and we try to work on our sins and we try to do better and act better and be better and all the while Jesus is saying stop that foolishness you will never be better by yourself I have to come in and make you better and when he does all of a sudden we can find victory in that stuff because we don't have to do it anymore he will do it through you and he will do it through me and so he gives a prescription now and we find out these two kinds of people who are in the church of Laodicea we find out that they are believers who are cold and we find out that they are lost people who are faking as saved people first we have the unknowing lost the one who have been thinking they were saved and he says in verse 18 now how they can remedy their situation. You see, there's a lot of people in this world that because they've been in the wrong circle of people, they've bought into this lie that if I do good and if I act good and if I play at church and if I, if I say words of confession, I got it going on and me and God are quite all right. And they're deceived and they're confused. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, stop listening to that noise and start listening to my still, small voice speaking into your soul. And I'll tell you exactly where you are. Let me tell you something about God. He's not a confusing God. He's not the author of confusion. Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. He will never convict you of being something you are not. Let me tell you something else about the Holy Spirit. He will always only convict you of who you really are. And so in those moments when he convicts you and you think, wow, I just don't know right now. That's the Holy Spirit trying to enlighten you to the reality of who you are. Now, this is what he says to that person. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you now, those of you who are sin sick and separated from God, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He spins their whole story up on its head. He says, man, you think you're rich because you got these big banks and all this wealth from all of your uh, retail uh, success. You're creating this eye salve. You're making this beautiful black wool fabric. He says, and you think you got it? Listen to me. I am telling you 
I am telling you now what you can do is come and buy from me a whole different story. You can buy from me white raiment, the raiment of righteousness from Jesus lavished over your broken life. I will put, I've got some spiritual salve. I'll smear it on your eyes and you will see spiritual things. You will see all of life differently when I come and give you sight to your poor, broken, blinded eyes. He says, I will, I will cover all of your nakedness. He says, everything that you think you are, he says, bring it to me and buy from me these good things. Now, hold on. You just said, brother Joel, you can't be saved by works. It almost sounds like he's saying you can purchase salvation. You can come and buy this. You know what he means? It's, I call it the great exchange. It's the greatest exchange ever demonstrated on the planet. He says, you bring all of your brokenness, all of your sickness, all of your shame, all of your nakedness, all of your mistakes, all of your sin, you bring it to me. Bring me all you are, and I'll give you all I am. What an amazing, beautiful story. He says, I take you just like you are but I cannot take you like you are, my goodness, until you own what you are. So he doesn't want us. What we do, we want to bring him who we want to say we are. We want to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I'm not perfect. I've said a few cuss words in my lifetime. I messed up a few times. I'm not always a great husband to my wife. You know, I've given tithe most of the time, been faithful with my money most of the time. I'm not as bad as a lot of people. I could find a whole lot's a whole lot worse, but I bring me to you, and I want, to, I want all you have. And, and Jesus says, are, are you kidding me right now? He says, you, I'm not giving all of me to that because that's not who you are. So he sends his Holy Spirit, and he reaches way down deep, and he shines a light into the darkness of who we are. And all of a sudden, we realize, woe is me. Like Isaiah would say, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, that's who you are. That's who I love. That's the one I want you to bring to me to receive all that I am. So we have these people who are lost, and, and they've been playing games because they've, they've got in this middle ground, like, okay, I think I'm okay. I'm saved. I'm running with saved people. I'm doing these things, so I'm saved. And he says, we need to clean this up. We need to get this nailed down. We need to get you right in Jesus before God the Father. And then... We have this other group in the story that are lukewarm. I call these the apathetic saved. These are the ones who have given their heart to Jesus, but they're still living for themselves as spineless, ineffective Christians. How do I know they're in this story too? Because the first one, he says, listen, you need to come and exchange who you are for who I am. And then he has this group, and he says in verse 19, those whom I love... I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, zealous, and repent. And, and, and he says, listen, you're a child of mine. And I'm telling you right now, living like you're living, <laughs> I'm getting ready to put a busting on you, okay? I'm getting ready to discipline you because you're my child, and I love you, and I will grace you, but I will not forever tolerate disobedience. So I'm telling you, be a zealous, be quick and serious about repenting and coming back because he says, repent. And we talked about it 
Repent means a 180 degree change of mind. You turn away from you and your will back to the will of God. Just last night, I told Kendra, we were watching TV, and was it a lady? What was she talking about? She was talking about something. She says, yeah. She said, we turned her around 360 degrees. That ain't helping nobody do nothing. Okay? 360 degrees is this. Man, I'm a sinner. The Holy Spirit convicted me. Oh, thank you for convicting me. And here we go right back what we were doing. Right? That ain't nothing. Okay? That's what we do. That's what we do. God, I'm, oh, excuse me. You feel him? God, I'm sorry I got caught. Okay, please forgive me. Thank you. I'll be back next week. Okay? No. That's not what he's describing here, church. Christian, he's not saying that. He's saying change your mind and turn back. Now, now here's the deal. Where are we at here today? Where are we at in this church? Where, where's your pastor? Where are your deacons? Where are your teachers? Where are your leaders? Where's your staff? Where are you? Where's our moms and dads? Where are our children today? We're in one of these three categories. White hot for Jesus, living for him, sold out full and free. Stone cold, dead, separated, shaking our fist. I'm here because somebody wants me to be here, but I am not giving my life to Jesus or the masses. Right in the middle, confused about whether they're saved or not, knowing they're saved, but just not living for him. That's where most of us find ourselves. And Jesus says, it makes me sick. I don't want to be the pastor that makes the Lord Jesus who died on a cross to save me and to change me and to make me his own. I don't want to be the pastor that makes him sick. I don't want to pastor a church that nauseates him. So here's what he says to every individual in the church of today, Osea. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone just hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So here's where we are. I painted this door gray because this is not white and it's not black. It's a chameleon. It's a blend of white, hot, and black. And here's where we stand often as a church and as Christians. This is what we carry around. This is what we look like, okay? And meanwhile, Jesus, although he, this is the same one that in chapter 1, you remember what the revelator, when he turned to see Jesus speaking, he said, oh my. He says, I saw him and his hair was like white wool, like snow. And he said, I, I saw he had this white robe on of purity and he had this gold sash on him and he had these feet of burnished bronze and his eyes were like fire. And when he spoke, his t- it was like a double-edged sword protruding from his mouth. This is the same resurrected eternal Jesus who says, I stand outside the door and I gently knock. He has every bit of power, every bit of right and perfection to blow that door into oblivion and annihilate everybody standing on the other side of the door in their lukewarmness, in their pitifulness, in their sinfulness. But he doesn't. He's described who he is, and now he says, he says, if you, he won't open the door. This is the door he won't open. He opened the door for you to have life at birth, He opens the door to our calling. He opens the doors in our ministry. He opens doors, but this is a door that he will not open. He says, if you, 
will hear me and open the door. He says, I'll come in. And when he comes in, we find ourselves now standing in this. All right. He says, he says, I am inviting you into abundant life. I don't want you to experience life of defeat and apathy and miserableness. I want you to have life abundant, full, and free. He says, man, you just, you just walk in this door, all right? And you'll experience what it's supposed to feel like. Now, I got a question. How many of you have experienced seasons in this life? Raise your hand, okay? Preaching online next week for the ones that didn't raise your hand, okay? How many of you have had moments or seasons in this? Amen, raise your hand. Now, here's the question, <laughs> Where's the good stuff at? Here or here? It's right here, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And he says, if you'll just open the door, I'll come in. I'm not going to, when you open the door, I'm not going to say, when I don't know if I'm ready to come in. Are you sure? No. If you, if you go as far as to open the door, he knows you mean business with him. So who's he speaking to? Here it is, church. Listen to me. If you're here today, maybe you've played games with God and religion but you know, deep in your soul, it's not settled. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and he says, open the door, and I'll come in. And listen to this. He says, and when you do, I'm going to have supper with you. That's what he says. And that word, that word for supper, is the same Greek word as the Lord's Supper. He says, I'll come into your life, and from this day forward, you will be able to remember what it is he did for you. You'll have a remembrance. And then there's other people that are already saved. And he says, repent. I don't want to discipline you, but I'm disappointed in you. Change it. Turn it around. Give it to me. Start, get back in the race and live this life for me. Because that's what I died to give you.